What's up, peeps? Middle of October, literally. I mean, this is Monday, October 17th, like that. I'm so happy my snap worked. You're watching Market Call. I'm Guy Adami. That's Dan Nathan. Carter Worth of Worth Charting will be joining us in just a few minutes. You knew that because it's Monday. I don't need to tell you that. But listen, there may be some new people on the feed, Dan. You got to let them know. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet. Financial data and analytics that are powered by tomorrow. We are powered by our production partner, Open Exchange. Now, typically, I start these Monday things with what happened over the weekend in sports. My New York Football Giants. Listen, the Jets out of nowhere. Obviously, the Yankees playing this evening. But we're gonna. What, what do they call that? We're gonna shelve that for a minute. I'm gonna tease that, and I'm gonna tell you all my thoughts at the end of the show. So stick around, people. Hi, Dan. Oh, man. Uh, you know, so so it's funny, guy. Before you and I started doing market call, God, it's been at least a year. How long How long have we been doing Longer. this thing? Longer, right? A year and a yeah. half. You were kind of warming up your kind of radio chops, yeah. if you will. Yeah. You used to call in a Boomer and Geo. You had this, like, kind of steady thing. You actually even um, – you were like a, a guest host once. Uh, it was I was amazing. just – not that anybody cares. I but care. I was the first – in-house guest on Boomer and Geo's show that they had physically had. So the first one after, you know, whatever, in the middle of COVID, the first person yeah. they brought back, me, G-Swiz. Just, yeah, you, uh, you, know, you were that guy. That'll be you a were, trivia question. You, you were a guy from Morristown. Um, but here's the deal. Um, we're going we're gonna to hit all the sports. I, I can't wait to get your takes, yeah. okay, at the end of this thing. Hot after, takes. After we have the amazing Carter Braxton Worth join us, um, and we're going to hit all the earnings and, and kind of get his take on on the, the kind of violence in the moves that we've seen just in the last week and a half. I mean, go back to, remember that move last Monday and Tuesday? Rip Roaring, reverse the whole thing. I mean, we've had these crazy gaps. It really does feel like we're on the cusp of something. Do you feel that way too? The one day we had, I, I, it's historic, I'm sure, for a myriad of reasons. I don't know if Ken Show still works at CNBC, but he or she would probably have a better insight as to why. But Thanks. you think about that one day, the market was indicated to be up 350 or so Dow points only to subsequently reverse and trade down about 800 Dow handles, indicated to be then down 500 Dow handles on the CPI day. We wound up going down about, what, 900 at its trough. That was a historic day, and only to be followed by another ridiculous day where, again, indicated lower, only to have the face-ripping rally higher. So this volatility is historic. I don't know if it suggests a bottom, but I think, and we're going to talk about it in a second, Tactically, all this noise may be setting up for exactly what Mike Wilson of Morgan Stanley is talking about in his note. Why Why are you doing that? Why are you quoting Dow points? I mean, like, again. That's like, what people do. I mean, I typically well, do no, that's what I mean, people like, like. You know, people like those down numbers. I mean, I can to, do S&P. I mean, it was a 150-something S&P point move in a, in a matter of minutes, which is, you know what again, that was speaks like? to a nutty market. You know, like how people do this on Twitter, like like they tweet out, "Tell me you're old without telling me you're That's old." That's it. Well, and, and and I I could say Guy Adami quoting the market and Dow points. Mm. No, fair. That's fair. I mean, there are other reasons that I'm old. Well, hold on, just for the listener and uh, the viewer, it's really important. Okay, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, which has had lots of changes to it over you know the last fifty years, a lot of tech companies went in there twenty years ago, and we've seen them kind of going in. You know, Salesforce.com is in the Industrials Average. Okay, but it is. 
an index of 30 stocks that is price weighted, okay? So if you never split your stock and the price keeps going higher, you have a higher weighting than a stock that has a lower price. Now, that has nothing to do with market capitalization, which you and I would generally place more of an emphasis. The S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index of 500 stocks, a much broader group of companies. Yeah, you saw what you did there. So to me, I think the Dow, every major financial news organization should kill it. You know what I mean? They should I stop have talking to agree about with it. that. Okay, so here, we're going to make a pact. We're never doing the Dow anymore here, okay? Is that cool? Pact, I like that. Now, I brought it up because just the significance of the numbers, when you start talking about hundreds of points in the yeah. midst, you know, I think it, it resonates. And listen, <laughs> You know, when, when Dan Rather comes on CBS Evening News tonight and talks about the moves in the Dow, I mean, that's what people gravitate towards. You know who that's I another saw tell weekend. me you're old without telling me you're old. Well, you know who I saw the woman who actually hosts the uh, the CBS Evening News uh, at Georgetown. Yeah, she's a Georgetown. Nora O'Donnell, Georgetown yeah, grad. Great. I, I liked Rather back in the day, too. All right, let's get to the markets. Let's get to this violence that we're talking about here. You know, the, that Monday, Tuesday, that was two weeks ago that we're talking about, right? Where it like seemingly we broke the downtrend that had been in place. We had a 5% rally in the S&P off of those lows. We made basically a new 52-week low from the June lows here. Gave it all back, talking about your day that you had that huge reversal after CPI. And here we are. You know, if you look at the one year chart, guy, we're barely, we're barely, you know, con we're, we're basically contending with the downtrend that's been in place from that August low. And then you see that kind of, you know, 3,600 was resistance when we were below that. Mm -hmm. And now we have that kind of 3,800 number, which was the May low, too. Is that important to you? I think so. And look, look October high. it'd be interesting. I mean, Carter will have a take on this when we bring him in without question but this is a pretty this is a pretty well-defined downtrend line that is pretty steep which suggests at a certain point it's going to be violated to the upside the question is when well we're right there now i mean if it's going to happen it's going to happen over the next couple of days and what does that set us up for does it set us up for a move again we're going to talk about mike wilson in a second but does it get us back to that four thousand level and what do we look yeah. like if and when we get there so i think given the violence of what we saw last week given some of the volumes that we saw last week my knee-jerk reaction is, yeah, tactically, you could probably play this from the long side, and we'll see. But by no way, in my opinion, Dan, does this mean the move lower is over. I think it's just sort of on pause for now. And I think in your mind, you have to be saying to yourselves, not what I want to buy here, but what do I own that I'd like to sell if and when the market gets to the levels that Brian, uh, Mike Wilson thinks we're going to get to, and maybe Carter, you and myself think as well. Yeah, so I guess the importance of Mike Wilson is that he's the head strategist at Morgan Stanley. He's the CIO over there for their asset management mm -hmm. group. He, he's been on uh, you know, Fast Money with us numerous times over the course of this year. Um, he's been on our podcast on the tape, and he's been very bearish for about a year. And, he's and right. And right. Well, and he's been right for the right reasons. You know, it's one thing to be right for the wrong reasons. He's been right. He's been mapping it all out. He was on our pod a couple weeks ago, and he really thought that we'd get down to that kind of 3,500 level. I think he thinks we go lower, but when you see somebody kind of make a tactical trading call like this, it definitely makes sense to pay attention, right? But you have to pay attention. Again, listen, does the fact that he's been right for so long help? Absolutely. I mean, it doesn't discount the fact that I'm sure that other people have been wrong are going to have similar calls. But when somebody's been that steadfast in their belief and at least tactically shifts gears just a little bit into you know the markets we've been seeing, you got to take notice. It would be disingenuous of us if we didn't bring it up. So it doesn't necessarily line up with some of the things we're thinking. Although, quite frankly, if you look at the price action over the last couple of weeks, it does make sense. So 
He has been right. Uh, you can't discount what he's saying. It makes sense in terms of, again, some of the violence that we saw last week. And I'll say this, Dan, historically, not historically, over the last year and a half or so, every time the VIX has gotten around 34, 34 and a half, we have seen reversals. It happened again last week. So just keep all that in mind. And we'll try to guide you through this. But I think that Mike Wilson note um, is very timely. And I think you have to take into serious consideration of what he said. Yeah, it, it is pretty fascinating throwing that one-year chart up there again, though. The idea that a counter-trend rally might get us back to 4,000 makes perfect sense to me. But when you think about that August high guy, mid-August, though we rallied from, what, 36.30 to basically 43.30, mm-hmm. I just don't – I mean, you would need so many things to come together. The U.K. to kind of fix this little mini crisis that they have. Maybe a stop down in the war in Ukraine. Maybe a more accommodative stand from the Chinese, maybe earnings that are far worse or you know not nearly as bad as people expect here in the U.S. You'd have to have a lot of things come together in my view. Yeah, and the other thing that we didn't mention or you didn't mention but you've been talking about is the potential for this Fed to sort of yeah. signal something ahead of the mid. I don't know what that something looks like, but you know, give markets maybe a pass for the foreseeable future into the November elections. We'll see. And look, I happen to think 4,000 is probably a quantum leap from here, but it doesn't mean it can't happen. But to your point, in the middle of June, and I remember the day, it was June 15th, it was 15th or 16th, the Fed meeting, we talked about the potential for the type of move that we thought saw. I thought we'd get to 4,200. The overshot was 4,300. And then obviously we saw yeah. 3,490 last week so what is the overshoot here maybe four thousand is but again one more time bring up that chart just to visualize it four thousand actually will take us through the 50-day moving average i think it's probably closer to I don't know, 3850, 3900, but we're probably splitting hairs at that point. Yeah, I'll just say one last thing because we've been talking about this a lot for months now is that until S&P strategists, you know, kind of threw in the towel, lowered their earnings estimates for this year and next, the market couldn't bottom, right? Because even in the near term, guy, if we were to rally to 4,000 and let's just say we saw Bank America a week or two ago go to $200 um, in earnings, right, for, for next year, okay, then you have a trough multiple in the S&P, call it you know, 13, 14, 15 times or something like that. At 4,000, we're still really expensive before we've had the actual earnings downgrades from companies. Now, here's one I thought was really interesting, Guy. On, on our Friday pod on, on the tape, we had Lori Calvacina yep. on, the RV, RBC uh, capital market strategist, and we, we really like her work. And she's talked about how she's been pounding the table um, on small caps. And we had Liz Young on Market Call just a couple weeks ago saying very similar here. And again, you know, that strong dollar, maybe less of an impact on a bunch of small cap stocks that are more domestically focused here. But talk to me a little bit about the Russell 2000. Again, we don't talk a lot about the Dow. We also don't talk a lot about small caps. But sometimes from a tactical standpoint, they line up really well. The last point I'll say, look at that one year chart. Mm-hmm. It never made a new low like the S&P or the NASDAQ. So maybe what Lori has to say is actually really important right now. Yeah, keep this chart up while I'm talking because it's important to take a look at it. I mean, those lows that we saw in June, we basically, we didn't trade through them this time. We obviously did in the S&P. We didn't in the form of the RUT, which is just something to sort of keep in the back of your cap. What does it mean? Yeah, I think to Lori's point, it means we probably can trade up to, I want to say that 1825-ish level or thereabouts, which lines up with the 50-day moving average. I think the 200-day is a bit of a pipe dream, but hey, 
Guess what? You know, we've traded up there before. To your point, middle of August or so, we basically traded a little bit through it and then subsequently sold off. I'll say this. I've said it a number of times. I think one of the most important charts to look at, in addition to the HYG, LQD, and those credit types of things, are the small caps. And I've said the small caps typically lead us to the downside, and they will typically lead us back to the upside. So maybe they'll lead here. And Laurie also did say in that conversation, you should listen to it on the On The Tape podcast at your favorite podcast store, Dan, that she tactically thought we're setting up for a pretty decent rally into November, only to probably be making new lows in March. So she's sort of, I think, lined up with what Mike Wilson is saying now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. All right, and two really important inputs to to everything that we just talked about as it relates to the ability for equities to rally and what you know could determine corporate earnings and 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 the like here is is obviously rates and you know the move in the ten year, um, you know we got back to four percent. We're hovering just a little bit um, below it. You mentioned the potential for the Fed going seventy five basis points, which seems to be baked in the cake after that um, CPI data that we had for last month here, and we obviously had that hot. Um, jobs reading. Um, but what happens after that? Is 4% in the 10-year? Is it kind of suggesting that, okay, maybe maybe the two-year and Fed funds gets above 4.5%, but maybe that's it. And at some point, maybe the 10-year is more reflective of growth. Thoughts here, because again, it's still holding that uptrend. I have a play in the GOVT. I'm long it, uh, and I'm on calls also, and I'm playing for lower treasury yields. But right now, it really feels like um, you know, it's holding that trend line and it's hard to make a bet against it. As steep as that downtrend is in the S&P chart that we had earlier from the yeah. same effectively times, this is how steep this uptrend is now. So if you think that we're going to see a bounce in the S&P, we're going to trade up to that 50-day moving average in the S&P, I think almost by definition, you have to think that somehow yields will be coming down. Again, I would think it's suggestive of the fact that growth is slowing. It doesn't really matter the reasons why. I think Carter has a pretty strong view as well. What I will say, though, is you still have upwardly sloping moving averages, which means the trend is still intact. The question is, does the trend sort of give it up in the short term? And I think that's right. And if you look at that horizontal line that you drew, Dan, it comes in around, what, three and a half-ish or so? Yeah, that makes sense. And by the way, that sort of lines up with some of the things that I've been saying as well. I'm surprised... We're not close to those levels now, and I think it's just a matter of time before we get there. I will say that if we do that, it's going to be against a backdrop that the two-year stays steady at current levels and only comes off a little bit. So what I'm saying is the yield curve will continue to widen in a negative fashion, but that's a different conversation. I think you can be long of the TLT or whatever instrument we're looking at right here to to sort of um, portray that view. All right. And lastly, real quickly, before we bring Carter in, um, you know, the U.S. dollar index, the Dixie that we look at here, mm-hmm. you know, it had that kind of blow off move um, in, in mid to late September. It went from like 110 uh, and almost went to 115, which was just a massive move. Now, we know on the other side of that, we know what was going on in the U.K. We know what's been going on with the euro. So we have the pound and the euro both really weak. And, you know, it kind of bounced back, didn't make a new high, really feels like it wants to get back to trend. You see that 50-day moving average. We didn't even need to draw a line. The 50-day does it for you. Thoughts on the dollar, especially if things in the UK were to chill out a little bit? Tactically, again, you know, Carter talked about this in June. You know, he thought although the trend was higher in the dollar, you'd see a back and fill. And that's exactly what happened. And I think we're in the midst of the same type of thing now. The trend is intact without question. But to your point, if the UK... 
I don't want to say they're going to get their act together because they're far from getting their act together. You're talking about three different groups that are basically diametrically opposed as to what's going on. Government, Bank of England, pension funds, and they're all sort of discombobulated. That's going to take a long time to figure out. But in the short term, you can have some sort of detente there. And I think that's what we're seeing now. I think one of the reasons the market's rallying today is on the back of exactly that. So under that backdrop, Dan, I think you can see a back and fill in the dollar down again to the 50-day moving average. It doesn't mean the trend is broken by any stretch, but it just means like we've seen a number of times since this started in early 2022, you're going to see the back and fills. And I think we're on the verge of one now. Yeah, And I guess as it relates to the stock market, you know, we, we said, you know, what we said about small caps and, and how it's less of an impact. But when you think of like the large U.S. multinationals, right, that make up a disproportionate amount of the S&P 500 and their earnings and their expected earnings growth. If you think where these companies guided, just look on that chart. I mean, most of the S&P 500 reported between mid-July and mid-August, right, when they reported their Q2 and gave Q3 guidance. And look where the Dixie was back then. I mean, it was, you know, in that kind of 106, 107 range. And even at 112, down from 115 or so, we're still much higher. So that continues to be um, a huge headwind. That's that's exactly right. Now, the question is, again, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but will the market then discount that if, in fact, companies guide on currency risks now, thinking exactly what we may be thinking? Maybe there's been a bit of blow off the top in the tower. I don't know. See, that's... That's exactly why markets are so fascinating, because you can have all this information, yet somehow markets always do the opposite of what you think is going to happen. And that could be the case if companies start to guide on currency. They may get the benefit of the doubt saying, you know what, the worst is over in terms of a strong dollar, and we're going to discount all this out. We'll see how it shakes out. All right. So let's do it. I mean, uh, can we bring them in? I yeah, love the, Carter, the, the, afore, the aforementioned Carter Braxton worth of worth charting. You know him. You love him. How are you, bud? I'm good. So hold on, just to, for a little bit of housekeeping. Um, since I'm in uh, Guy's category in the age department, mm. Guy, you graduated in 1982 from high school. I graduated in 84. Ooh. That makes us 56 and 50. Years. Like, I, too, think in terms of Dow points, and I only adjust Thank you, that. Carter. When I'm speaking to people of a certain age, so the older guys talk to these larger, big portfolio managers, that's what they ask about. They yeah. say, hey, wait a minute, I don't have my machine on. Tell me what the Dow's like. That's, and that's, then the see other that? guys, if you bring up the Dow for the younger guys, they're like, what's wrong with this guy? So you have to know your audience. Yeah, but, but you know what, Carter? You, you could, like, I'm looking at, I'm staring at you through our screen, but I'm also staring at my fact set machine here. I don't even have the Dow Jones DC, this is my point, on there. You know? And so you could put a gun to my head right now. And, and ask me, where is the Dow trading, give or take 500 points? I couldn't tell you. I have no idea. But here's the fun thing. So yeah. do you know what the bait, if you look at the correlation between the Dow, which is price weighted and it's 30 stocks, yeah. and the S&P, which is 500 and it's market cap weighted, should make no sense at all. The correlation two years, five years, any period, it's 90 plus percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but is um, that because because... The, the way investors think as they express views in the broader it's, industries? I don't know. It's been that way forever, and it's a curious thing. For instance, consider these two, and we know this, but it's important to kind of look at it. Apple's the biggest in the S&P, right, at 7-plus percent, but yeah. it's only 3% of the Dow. It's a $140 stock. But now United Healthcare is only 1.6% of the S&P, but it's 11.5% of the Dow because it's a $520 stock and it's price-weighted. So that shouldn't work, and yet they constantly overlap. Somehow like it manages to. It's fascinating. Yep. You'll anyway. have you'll have a couple of days a week or so where there's a disconnect, but over to yeah. Carter's point, over time, you know, you're talking about a correlation, not one to one, but 
approaching that, which is remarkable right. given the disparity between the numbers, right? Yeah, anyway, yeah. Dan, right, sorry so about we're that. Cut, no, we're, we're, we're off the rails already, so let's keep it here. But <laughs> like, I guess, I, I guess the, but, but the way I think of it as a market participant, because like, if I want to look at what's going on under the hood within the sectors of the S&P 500, I get so many more interesting tidbits on, on any period of time. You, you know what I'm saying? About, oh, sure, you know, that's all true. But here's the thing. If you really have no time and you just want to look at a few yeah. charts, yeah. If you go through the Dow 30 individually, you get a pretty good snapshot. All right, that's fair enough. Okay, so maybe I, I have to put uh, I have to put the Indu as we call it uh, back on my on, on my on my fact set here. Uh, Carter, give us give us your two cents on, on the just well, we we, sure. we we use the term violence. It, you know, mm-hmm. the last two weeks we've had some big moves. It feels churning, but we churned lower, right? And we made a new 52 week low in the S and P and the Nasdaq, and then we had the the day that guy mentioned that huge reversal day where it lo- looked like. We could either be down 8%, right, or reverse and close up 2%. And we did. We closed up 2%. Right. So there's an old adage or expression, sharp indecision is mm-hmm. resolved sharply. We have a great debate. And you, you know what the debate is. There are people who say, I don't care what the news that's coming says, how bad it's going to be. With the S&P down 27% and the NASDAQ 100 down 37%, it's down enough where I'm going to think out three to five years and put money to work. And then you got the other side that's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. We haven't even seen Main Street turn down when the recession hits and recession inevitable. When you have a, a tightening cycle, the market's going much lower. So there's a huge debate. We all know this. And that's what creates the volatility, these shocking one day moves. And so back to that expression, sharp indecision is resolved sharply. You can feel the tension. It will not stay here. We know this. It's going to get resolved by a pretty aggressive move lower. That's my view. Or, and I think some people are stepping up for this, that it's going to bounce and bounce handsomely, maybe all the way into year end. I think at the end of the day, though, and this is important, what about the current circumstance, chart-wise or fundamental-wise, suggests meaningful gains ahead versus just a bounce? I don't see that. Whereas the downside, while unknown, could be quite severe. Yeah, and I'm going to chime in, and then we're going to look at charts. But the only thing, again, I'm I'm so with you. But just again, just to sort of take the other side, there's at some point seasonality is going to kick in, and we know that. Listen, it happened last year in a major way. That move in December last year was seemingly out of nowhere. It didn't make a lot of sense, but it happened regardless. So. We're going to get into a period of time where people start talking about it. It's going to happen sooner than we realize. So that's the other side of it. But I'm totally with you, Carter. So uh, let's look at some charts. Well, well let's 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 focus. Um, so earnings again. You know, you don't care much about what the companies kind of do or say from a fundamental standpoint, but you definitely like to focus on setups right into the events that everybody knows are coming and that's one of the things take it to the bank on earnings publicly traded companies are going to report at a scheduled time uh their their quarterly earnings just ended and oftentimes give guidance going forward so it creates a lot of great trading setups you see we're getting kicked off here we just had the banks late last week and we saw the volatility in and around them um the give back friday afternoon on most of the banks was really interesting i will mention that jp morgan now is back above friday's highs okay so that's some some kind of good i i think return momentum here but let's focus on some of these names that you think could be big movers this week and i think we have 
have to start with Goldman Sachs is kind of the last major U.S. bank. Um, it's obviously not a huge money center bank. Um, they're much more exposed to some of the issues um, that we have as related to capital markets and the lack of activity. There's a, a news on the tape today that the company is reorganizing some of their big groups here. How do you think about this one late in the kind of earnings cycle for the group? That chart right there, I, I think, you know, I see the arrow, but talk to us through the Goldman Sachs chart here. Yeah, I mean, we know that it has not gone back through its mid-June low, whereas the S&P, albeit briefly, did. And so the question is, does Goldman ultimately make a new intermediate low, 52-week low or not? Um, if you kind of remember this, burn this on your retina and look at the next longer term chart, we can toggle, but the longer term chart, we when we did make that June low, we went right back to a pretty important juncture, which is a prior high and was the stock's all time high uh, before basically selling off through all of 18, 19 in the COVID low. So where we are now, where that red line is, if we went back to the first chart, is where I think if we do break, we are headed. So um, if not more, but I, my, my bias is to the downside. But even here, let's say it's completely wrong and it bounces. That's the problem. Weakness from here further uh, hurts the pattern, but strength doesn't help it at all. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll just add my two cents on this and toggle back if we can for you bingo players out there and take a look. We actually had a really good call in June. We talked about Goldman at that time was basically trading right around tangible book. We said, listen, into earnings, the setup was good. In terms of the markets we had seen, I had a really strong view that they were going to crush it in terms of their trading. That's what happened. And the stock actually traded up north of 350. The fact that it's given the entire thing back is somewhat disappointing. Now, if we toggle to this next chart, I mean, this speaks to exactly what Carter's talking about. You have these rollovers and excuse me, not Johnson & Johnson, that prior Goldman Sachs chart, just take a look at it. You know, the stock is rolling over again. We've seen it before and we're in the midst of one now. So all this, all the setup is extraordinarily similar and the environment is actually better for trading. The question, Dan, is will they be rewarded for it or will people say, listen, they're doing a reorg for a reason. Yeah. Uh, maybe we have to reevaluate how we look at Goldman Sachs. Yeah, I think so. And, and and again, you know, this is a company, you made this point again, it was your alma mater back in the day here. I mean, they are really good at trading environments like this. And so the question is, you know, if they had some great trade on the other side of the pound or something like that, will they be rewarded from That's it? Right. No, it'll show up in their earnings, but it's kind of a, a one-off thing. And it might offset the lack of IPOs or whatever the heck it is. But again, I think that, you know, you like to see, you know, these reorganizations, you like to see um, guidance that's going to come out of it better, you know, due to a better cost structure, that sort of thing, especially when it comes to banks that can tend to be very cyclical. So that one's really interesting. You know, <clears throat> Carter, you brought along Johnson and Johnson and, you know, Last week, we saw the results out of Pepsi. So some of these, um, you know, consumer staples are being able to pass through some of, um, you know, their input costs, their higher input costs. Pepsi was rewarded for this. This long-term chart, I mean, says everything to it. If you had actually shown us a one-year chart, you'd look at the move where the stock was trading at probably 182 in late June, all the way down just to below 160 a week or two ago. It looks like a pretty well-defined you know, downtrend. It just picked its head up above that too. So if you look at it on a long-term basis, you see what, I, I mean, I see what you see, but then also on a short-term basis, looks like it's ready for a bounce also. 
Right. So it's come down a certain amount. And, and, and I've uh, not to say fudged the line here, but I've I've uh, sort of not allowed the covid swoon to be a part of the trend. And then basically this is from the bear market lows of 09 to where we are now. And uh, the thought that comes to mind, the expression is north by northeast, higher, steadily higher. Mm-hmm. What's not to like? Stay long, be long. Never gets too hot, never gets extended. And we know it's a fairly stable business. Now, it's had its issues, of course, um, as all operating businesses do. But, uh, yeah, my inclination is to be long. Eyes of mine. And uh, we've talked about Johnson & Johnson. Basically, Dan, since they bought the consumer products business from Pfizer, I want to say it was around 07, 08. doesn't matter. I mean, it's, it's a long time ago. They bought it for about $17 billion, and that wound up being extraordinarily useful for them. They subsequently have restructured their company as well. The point is this, this is my opinion. If you like Procter & Gamble at their valuation, you think you got to love J&J here. It's not just a pharmaceutical company. It's so much more. And it's been lower left, upper right. Pullbacks have been bought. Valuation is still reasonable in this environment. So I like J&J here. Does it mean it can't go? I, I don't know, but I'm telling you, this is one of those stocks that if you just sort of closed your eyes and bought it, over the years, you've done extraordinarily well, and I don't think it's been any different this time. I'll tell you a name that's been fascinating, Carter, Netflix. Um, that move to the downside in Netflix was extraordinary. The gaps that we saw in that, you know, I'm a huge Reed Hastings fan, but what I'll say, and I said this in the midsummer, for the first time in a long time, Netflix, you can make a compelling case on valuation. I think people are waking up to that, and I think your work suggests that although we've bounced considerably, there's more room to go to the upside. Well, that's right. I mean, we can look at this uh, just one iteration, but what what you have as a, as a sequencing uh, circumstance fundamentally first is a great winner that starts to come apart. No one accepts it like it can't be. And you get a shocking drop in gap. And then it happens again. And people are like, my gosh, maybe I'm I'm not right on this. And then it works lower still. And what happens is, Price targets get revised. The street, I mean, you're talking about 50 analysts cover this, had a price target at the beginning of the year of 700. Think of that. And now they think it's worth 250, 12 months hence. So you've got capitulation at the fundamental level. People hate the stock. In fact, it has more sells than buys in that whole represents sell on Wall Street. So some 33 people think it's hold or sell versus only 17 as buys. But what I see is, something that's bottoming. It has all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. And uh, today's action alone is very constructive. Yeah. So Guy mentioned those gaps. And again, you know, this stock less than a year ago was trading $700. It was down 77% at its lows, which was pretty astounding if you think about just in such a short period of time. And, you know, two quarters ago, the stock was down 35%. Three quarters ago, down, you know, 22%. And, you know, those gaps are sitting out there like a sore thumb. I mean, the fundamentals of the company, and Guy just mentioned valuation. I mean, and neither one of us can remember, A, when they had sort of like reasonable earnings growth that you could kind of forecast that, um, you know, on, on, a, on a gap basis that looked real, especially relative to the amount of money that they were spending um, and losing on original content. So all of a sudden now, the company, you know, was being penalized for the pull forward during the pandemic, right? And then they were being penalized 
catalyze for the churn post-pandemic, and then also all of the different members of a household that were on one account. So they said they were never going to do ads for years and years, and they do about face, right? Because they went X growth here in North America. So the idea, if they're even able to capture at a much low, lower price point, um, you know, some, some, some second household users or get advertising, right? People who are going to do an ad supported model that could drop right to the bottom line here. And if they are able to point to that and guide higher and stem the losses on the churn, I think you're going to see a gap fill back to that 300 level. But all that being said, and again, I know Carter doesn't give a crap about this sometimes, but if they are able, uh, you know, if they are not able to do that and they're basically going to say it's going to cost us money for a while and we're going to continue to deal with churn, the stock, which is up 50% off those lows, there's room to the downside. The implied move in the options market is about 11%, nearly $30 in either direction. So again, these are not uh, easy moves to trade into and out of earnings. Fair no, enough? No, not at all. I, I'm with you on that. Again, I, I think you're at a point now where people have been trying to fade Netflix for a while. We'll see how it shakes out. Snap is a name, Dan, by the way, that you've. I think you've done an extraordinary job with this one. You've talked about it and yeah. Carter's work, I think, is suggestive of exactly what I think. You know, you have these levels that we saw again in the in the worst of the pandemic, right? Ish, and here we are, sort of bouncing around. I mean, I don't know. I think you can play this. I don't think it's been fixed, but this is a stock that literally can rally a hundred percent, still be broken. But what a trading opportunity! Yeah, but just real quickly before we hit the technicals, I mean, my two cents on this one is that clearly. The company is having you know huge issues dealing with some of these much larger platforms that have been growing faster, gaining users, um, gaining market share in the digital ad space. Um, but I think it's a very unique social property when you think about their size. You know, five and a half billion dollars in sales, largely related to advertising. If Elon Musk thinks that Twitter is worth forty-four billion dollars, then someone out there. Someone out there, whether it be a large company and maybe because they'll be able to buy them, as you think about some of these platform companies have gotten so big, will think that $18 billion in equity market cap um, is too cheap for this thing. That's my take here on this one. But could another, you know, kind of disappointing guide send this stock into the high single digits? Sure. But I'm just kind of I think there's like two down, maybe five or six up sort of scenario in this. Carter, talk to us about the charts because you were really bearish the whole way down on this thing. I haven't heard you say a positive thing about the technicals in this thing until now, all spring and summer. Yeah, it just feels it's so symmetrical, right? That's the thing you can see it, right? The start point, the COVID low, if you will, the huge topping out formation so well formed and we've done the full round trip. And here too, you've got complete abandonment from the very crowd that loved it. Consider the following. One year ago, the stock was trading at 80 and Wall Street had a price target of 90, 12 months forward. Now, here it is trading at 10 and their price target to is 14. So if someone said to you, I think something's worth 90, and then they change their mind. Now we think it's worth 14. You'd say, listen, man, please lose my phone number. I don't want you to call me with this. If your doctor did that, it's called dead people. I mean, that's bad work, yeah? And if your engineer does that, it's called the bridge fell down. Sorry, that was a screw up. I mean, stay away from all that. What we know is it's kind of getting down to maybe we take a, take a, a gamble. Look at the I, here, I, chart. 
Yeah, I agree with that. And look, let's take a look well, at this but, chart. I'm sorry, yeah, Dan, go ahead. No, but look at that last one because he showed the symmetry, right, of that multi-year chart, and it's all the way back. But the next one's really the important one, in my opinion, Carter. Right, and there's the chart from the peak. It's log scale, just to try to put some perspective on the current. We've been finding our footing. It hasn't gone up, but it's starting to stop going down. That's how. That's the first thing. And to me, you play this, you make a bet. And, and yes, it's highly speculative and it can be yeah, highly got, wrong. But you, at some point, you know, choose your sides. I want to mention one thing. So I've been long the stock. I've been trading it a little bit here and kind of bought some when it was below 10 a couple months ago and, and sold some out. Um, but I've also, when I look at that log chart that he's got up there, and again, I do think there's potential for M&A or some sort of strategic sort of setup here. You know, I've also bought a call spread. I'm long like the 12, 18 call spread in December, which actually on a percentage basis of the stock price wasn't that much. So I added that position to the long stock position to give a a little bit of torque, if you will, if there was ever reason for this thing to gap. I have a torque wrench in my garage. I'll spare you. Slumberger, another name. I think we're lined up on this one as well, CB Dubs. Yeah, this is uh, look, looking good. Um, so what do we know? That's a long-term chart. And talk about a wipeout, right? We know that's 120 all the way down to 10. But we have a, a incontrovertible downtrend that's been broken. Mm -hmm. So you can draw the lines that way. You can also draw uh, the bottoming out formation. Look at the next iteration. It has all the elements of a bearish to bullish reversal. Doesn't matter that you call it a head and shoulders. Uh, And to my eye, uh, this is a a very interesting long candidate. Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, listen, I'll take the fundamental stance, although this has been true for quite some time, that in terms of valuation, it's extraordinarily reasonable. It's a better run company than it was when crude oil was significantly lower many years ago and was trading higher. Not that any of that makes any difference, but this is one where if if crude were just to go sideways here and the market finds its footing, uh, I think the oil service name, Schlumberger being a big component of it, will catch up to some of these bigger integrated names, and we'll see. But I'm with you on that one, CBW. I think you stayed long, Slumberger, and to a certain extent, Halliburton as well, in the environment that we find ourselves in. Carter, obviously, thanks for joining us. You don't want to stick around for what I'm about to do, and I'm sure Amanda (laughs) is wincing right now. Uh, But thank you for your extraordinarily thoughtful work. We will see you on Wednesday. And please check out Worth Charting. I like just saying this. Old-fashioned technical analysis. Nothing slick. Just charts. I should do the reads for you, by the way, Carter, because I do it really well. He's the man. He's the <laughs> man. All right. Thanks, Carter. All right. Well, we we covered a lot of ground there. Yeah, guy. we did. I mean, we're having a rip roaring rally in the markets here. We did a little setup for some of those earnings names. I think again, you know, I just say this about earnings, and listen, I like to trade. I like the action. I've been doing this my my whole adult life here. But you know what? As I get older, I'm less inclined to take shots into earnings events, especially in periods like this where, you know, like today feels great. It feels like you're going to have a lot of people make bottom calls, right, guy, Mm -hmm. and say that was the worst of it. But let me tell you something. You get something wrong in a name where people have all move to one side, you know, for whatever reason, and they miss and they guide down and you have that one stock that's down 10 or 15% in a big green day or whatever, when people are starting to feel better about things, you feel like a real dummy because if that one quarter and guide actually didn't affect your, your, your thought process, then sometimes you just have the opportunity to buy it after the fact. 
It's going to be, listen, leading up to midterm elections, volatility is not going anywhere. The VIX yeah. might go lower, but the, these ridiculous moves that we're seeing are not going anywhere anytime soon. And to the, your point, there are going to be a lot of people that want to be the, that guy or gal that calls the bottom. I just don't think we're there yet. We might be there for the next couple of weeks. I don't think longer term we are. We'll see. Now, I teased something at the top of the yeah, show, you Dan. Did. So yeah, you, you mentioned, I'll start with the Jets. So I'm a giant fan. But for years, the Jets, to me, were inconsequential. I mean, they were flying my ass. I didn't care one way or another about the Jets. I didn't care if they won. I didn't care if they lost. That's until Rex Ryan took over, that big blowhard that he is, and decided that instead of being a giant town, which, by the way, it will always be, it is now somehow a Jet town and blah, blah, blah. So he set me up for an environment where the Jets couldn't lose enough and they couldn't lose by enough points, okay? <laughs> Just that's throwing that out there. Although I do like this new regime, and the Jets off to a 4-2 and two start are far surpassing any expectations anybody had. They blew out the Packers yesterday in Green Bay. People don't typically do that, and I think that was the large, largest margin of victory at Green Bay in a Aaron Rodgers-led team in the history of his tenure there, which is saying something. So good for the Jets. I still find them to be... Uh, they're not, listen, they're not as unsavory as they were under the Rex regime, but I still yeah. dislike them. New York Giants, on the other hand, 5-1, and one, got totally outplayed yesterday. But, Dan, they still found a way to win. That is a mark of not a great team, a good team right now. I'm not suggesting they're going to go 13-4. and four, But this is a team that could rattle off 10 wins and find their way into the playoffs in a very tough NFC East. So good for the Giants. And yeah. for you Daniel Jones haters out there, <laughs> As for the Yankees, played last night in Cleveland. I don't know if there are any Major League fans out there. Not the Major League Baseball, the movie Major League. There was a scene in the movie where one of their guys, Serrano, hit a dong, and he went around the bases doing this, uh, showing the stones that he had in order to hit that. He was showing that he had onions. Well, last night we saw the same thing from somebody named Naylor in a losing effort, decided he was going to round the bases doing exactly that. That's Bush League. So again, the Guardians, a team that I could care less about, I find now to be on top of my hatred list. And for you Met fans out there that find yourself rooting against the Yankees, I, I want you to do that. Continue your hatred because as you're out there on the golf course enjoying uh, the early golf season that you find yourself in, a team that has a lot of question marks going into 2023, I want to once again emphasize that this is a Yankee town. It will remain a Yankee town, and it's always been a Yankee town. And oh, by the way, the Rangers of New York play, I believe, the Ducks of Anaheim or wherever they call themselves at the Garden tonight. So that's a full slate of action on this Monday. How'd I do, Dan? Yeah, well, that was epic, guy. I hope the Yankees do not get rained out. I hope they can finish this thing off and find themselves in the ALCS. I'd love to see them. Uh, take on the Padres, Bob Melvin's Padres, if they can get by these Phillies. Fan of fast be... money and market call and on the tape. <clears throat> and do you remember when the Yankees, they swept, didn't they sweep the Padres? I'm going to say 99. I believe that was 1999, if memory so I'm sure I'm off by a year. But yes, um, that no, was. I it was 98 or 99. 98, those 99. Two years. Close, All right. And, and you know, I think, I think the Yankees beat the Cleveland Indians in the divisional series one of one of those years that they went to. Uh, so there, there you go. They, they got that guy going. You put them. a bow on it. Well, th- we really ran late. I mean, we're 43 minutes into this That's biatch. And I'm sorry, Amanda. I know Amanda's just – she's not happy with no. me, and that's fine. It's all my fault, people. So 
That's it. I want to thank you for joining Market Call. I obviously want to thank Carter Worth. I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet. I want to thank the people that were powered by Open Exchange. Tomorrow, I'll be back on the tape. Not with Dan Nathan, because Dan, I believe you're getting on an aeroplane to San Francisco. Yes. That's like your second home. You know, you'd love it out there, which no, is nice. I have not. I have not been to San Fran since Jan 2020. I've been to LA a whole heck of a lot. Uh, so this is going to be. Uh, I'm excited to go out there and see some peeps. So well, I if you're going to San Francisco, that's a line from a song. Be sure to wear flowers in your hair, but fret not, people, because Demo is going to be with me. That's Danny Moses of the Big Chill fame. We'll be back tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern time. See you later. See you later. Thanks.